As you're finding your seat, I want to encourage you to find your place in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Mark, chapter 12, we are going back to our study that we've been doing in Mark, and we'll be wrapping that up this year at Easter time. It's on page on 1301 if you're using the Journey Bible that's provided there for you. A number of years ago, Tammy and I moved from Illinois to Michigan. And in the very first few weeks of our ministry, we were presented with two gifts. And they appeared at first to be gifts of kindness from people in our congregation. But I discovered very quickly there was a hidden agenda. These people were trying to shape my identity for the next several years. It was October, and it was football season. And we happened to live halfway between Michigan State University and the University of Michigan. And the very first week of my ministry, I got a sweatshirt, kind of a whitish-gray sweatshirt with a big green MSU Sparty logo on the front. I was being recruited. Not to be outdone, the next week, by a different family, I was given a blue sweatshirt with a big, big maze, see, there it is, big maze M right there on the front. They wanted me to pledge my allegiance. They wanted to shape my football identity. And Saturdays were really hard in our community because half the houses were flying flags of maize and blue and the other half were flying the green and white. There were things on cars and bumper stickers and people were wearing their spirit wear. It was confusing for me because whenever I'd wear one of these shirts, even though I, I hardly knew what was going on in either of these teams, at least at first, they all thought I was a big fan. So, oh, what would you think of the coach's call in third and down? You know, and I'm like, I didn't even watch the game. I couldn't admit that out loud because, you know, I wanted to fit in. So, Sunday morning, there was one Sunday morning a year. It was horrible. It was the Sunday after MSU played the University of Michigan. Half the congregation was depressed, and the other half was gloating. It was an interesting kind of a day. So where did I end up? To everybody's disappointment, including my own, I remained a Chicago Bears fan uh, on the whole thing. Pick a side. Pledge your allegiance. The same thing happens in your life in different areas. And the same thing was happening to Jesus in the text that we're going to look at. He's approached by two groups of people who really have nothing in common. In fact, they kind of are on opposite sides. The only thing they have in common is that they wanted to influence Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus. They had a hidden agenda. So let's take a look at what's happening in Mark chapter 12. We've just come out of the parable of the tenants, where the chief priests and the teachers of the law were sort of told by Jesus, the kingdom is going to be taken from you. You will be displaced. They weren't too happy about that. So we see what happens in verse 13 of Mark 12. It says, later, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians, these are our two groups, to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay him or should we not? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius, which is a a Roman coin, 
and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So who are these two groups that came to Jesus, the Pharisees and the Herodians? I'm going to be really blunt this morning. We're going to draw a lot of parallels that I see from what was going on in Jesus' day to today. The Pharisees were a religious group. They were very narrow. They were the conservatives of the day. They were the right wing. They despised the government. They were the Republicans of the first century. And then there's the Herodians. The Herodians were the liberals. They were syncretistic, meaning let's just sort of take a little bit of everything from everything and let's all get along. They were the Democrats of the first century. What would bring these two disparate groups together? Their dislike of Jesus. They thought if we can get Jesus to speak in favor of Rome, he will alienate a whole bunch of people and he'll go down the tubes. Or if we can get him to pick the other side and speak against Rome, he'll alienate the Romans. They will likely arrest him and kill him. So let's think, what's a good topic, a volatile topic that we can get the people stirred up about? Taxes. What a great idea. So they ask, should we pay this citizenship tax to Rome who's occupying us? What do you think? And Jesus is being pressured to pick an allegiance And he refuses. And in so doing, his very creative response teaches us an important lesson. Your allegiance to Christ supersedes and must shape all other allegiances. If you're a Christ follower here today, let me say this again very clearly. Your allegiance to Christ must supersede. It has to be the top one of all other allegiance, and it should shape all other groups you're part of, all other um, commitments you have, all other views or values that you assume. You have many different allegiances in your life, various identities that shape who you are, that you identify with. Most of us in this room, I'm going to guess, are American citizens, and so we have a certain allegiance to our country. If you work, you have a certain commitment to your company, Or to your employer, if you're the employer, a commitment to your employees. Perhaps you're part of a sports team or band. Maybe your extended family. You live in a neighborhood and there's probably some kind of level of identity with where you live. Maybe you're a boomer or a millennial or Gen X or Z. Those labels that get put on you sort of define who you are a little bit. Maybe you have a commitment to homeschooling or public schooling or private schooling. Maybe you are a Democrat or a Republican or other. These associations are normal. And they're good for the most part. It's okay to have them. But the passage gives us a warning. There's a potential trap out there if we aren't careful. Here's the warning in verses 13 to 15, the trap that is set for Jesus. Let me summarize it this way. Be careful in your connections. Be careful in your connections. It takes consistent, ongoing effort to elevate Christ above all other allegiances. Because if we don't give that effort and thought regularly, these other things will come in, and what will become more important to us is the maize and blue, or our political party, or the club that we're part of. 
If you are a Christ follower, you have already picked a side. You have already pledged your allegiance. The Bible tells us that we've died with Christ. And our life is now hidden with God in him. Let me... Jesus says it really, really bluntly because he was trying to wrestle from people. You can't belong to this and belong to this and belong to this and put them all at the top. There's only one priority, and it has to be the kingdom, and it has to be Christ. In Matthew chapter 10, listen to what he says. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me, in other words, puts them at the top, is not worthy of me. Does he want you to love your father and mother? Of course. But more than him? No. No. It's a lesser allegiance. Or loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me, right? The road of the kingdom is not worthy of me. So there is this trap of what I call lesser allegiances in our lives. Again, the allegiances are fine. They're for the most part good, but they are lesser. Some are minimal. Some are easy to keep in their place. We wouldn't even call them an allegiance. They're just sort of like an association, For instance, maybe where I shop. I'm pretty consistent in the places that I shop for food or for clothes. And you may see me there. And just by seeing me there, you you kind of put me in a box. this This is something we learn about who Scott is based on the clothes he wears or where he shops or even where he goes and gets his groceries. But that's such a small allegiance in my life. You know what? If there's a sale somewhere else, I'm out of here. Um... You know, if I don't like their service, I might change. And that's easy. But then there are some associations that run a little deeper. Through my life, I've been part of different groups. I've been part of sports teams, community groups, leadership groups, ministry groups. And when you join an association of people, you're starting to participate in their kind of unique culture. You're committed to their growth and their development. And most of the time, again, no problems. But if you're a Christ follower, there's times where you realize you don't quite fit in, do you? It, it's, it's not 100%. And when those groups begin to change and their values begin to shift and they're not quite what you believe, it's really hard to make a change because there's an emotional connection now. You don't want to disappoint people. You don't want to not fit in. And then there are some that are really, really deep. For instance... I'm an American. I wouldn't want to move to a different country. I'm also a Guardziella. I'm part of an extended family, the Guardziella-Peterson clan. And we have our values and identities, and not all of them always maybe reflect Christ the way they ought to. And so it's hard to go against the grain and follow Christ above that, and yet that's what he calls me to. We read it in that text very clearly. Even a church... We're calling you to make a a strong commitment of of connection to Genesis Church regularly, and and we hope you do. But even when you connect to a church, your allegiance to Genesis Church or pick any other church never is above your allegiance to Jesus Christ because churches change. And yes, you adapt their values, but never should you be known as someone who goes to Genesis Church above someone who follows Jesus Christ. Allegiances. And then there are some that are impossible to change if you want to. These are, I don't want to call them an allegiance, but they're an identity that's, that I can't change. I'm a middle-aged person, and I can't change that unless I just wait a few more decades. All right? Then, then maybe I can change that one. I'm white. There it is. I'm male, born that way. It defines some of who I am. And this one is not like a sweatshirt that I can remove. There is a higher allegiance, however, 
Early and late in Jesus' life, we see him making an allegiance to something stronger, something bigger than those external identities that are put on him. Do you remember the story when Jesus was, was young? He was like 12 years old, and they were in Jerusalem, and mom and dad couldn't find him. Remember that? And just, where is he? And they're panicked. Where's this? And where do they find him? They find him in the temple. And what was his response? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Didn't you know what my biggest allegiance was? How did you not know that? When he goes to the cross, and he's standing before pilots and before officials, he has an opportunity to essentially deny who he is and to deny his mission and to fit in. And it would save his life. But he says, I have a higher allegiance. So your allegiance to Christ supersedes and shapes all others. Christ must come first. So let's get real practical here. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself an American Christian or a Christian American? And at first you're going, I I don't even see the difference in that. But there is a difference, both in how we live and even how we say it. Christ needs to come before culture. So I would tell you what we need to be are Christian Americans. Let our Christianity define and shape our Americanism, not the other way around. See, when I encounter American Christians, that means that they or we are taking our American experiencing and putting it on top of our Christianity and let it shape our faith and how we act and how we live, and it shapes our Christianity rather than the other way around. So we take the American experience of independence or capitalism or wealth, power, freedom, and apple pie, and we put it all on top of our Christianity and say, if you look like that, then you must be a good Christian. And it is true that our Americanism is constantly pushing in on our faith, and we have to be aware of that. And as Americans, we read the Bible differently than people do in Asia, than people do in Africa, and it sadly begins to shape how we see things. You know, one of the best ways to combat that is to get to know Christians from other cultures, whether it's cultures around the world or even subcultures in the United States, and hang out with them. And you go, they seem to be a really committed Christ follower who who reads the scriptures and is true to it, but they don't seem to hang to these other beliefs the same way I do. Maybe those are secondary beliefs. Maybe those are lesser allegiances. I always put it way up here, but it challenges me to rethink which is Americanism and which is Christianity. I encourage you to read Christian writers and theologians of other eras so that you don't get sucked into what is popular right now, what is considered current right now. That, that'll kind of help ground you. We sang that older hymn, Blessed Assurance, right now. Uh, that, you know, it just reminds me that my faith is handed down and some things don't change and some things do change. Music styles change, but it connects me to the people of the past who are Christ followers. It matters very, very much. So that's an American Christian. What's a Christian American look like? A Christian American says, my commitment to Christ defines everything else and how I view everything. Christ does not call me to independence. I love my independence as an American, but that is not a Christian thing. Christ does not call me to independence. He calls me to community. He doesn't call me to wealth. If I have it, great. He calls me to generosity. Jesus never calls me to power. In fact, he he warns me that power can be dangerous. He says, instead, be the servant of all. And as a Christian, I may enjoy apple pie. That's great. But as a global Christian, 
I should make sure I also like quesadillas and dim sum and that kind of thing because I got brothers and sisters who don't look like me. And I got to make sure that I'm part of their world as well. So, what's the danger? The danger is this. If you don't understand that you have a call to the Christian faith and you also have cultural pressure on you, some of which is fine and some of which is not, you will begin at times to not know whether, as you're walking as a Christian, whether it's culture that you're pursuing and portraying or whether it's Christ. And when we begin to mix culture and kingdom and we start wearing out on the front of us cultural logos, we adulterate the way of the kingdom. And we begin to exclude brothers and sisters who don't wear the same logo. I'll explain more of this as we go along. But let me just share a little bit of my heart here. Sometimes as Christians, we associate, again, not necessarily wrong, but we begin to associate being a Christian with dressing a certain way, voting for a particular party, having a really nice family, using a certain Bible version. If you're really a Christian, you're going to be for or against gun control. You're going to keep your lawn mowed very neatly and have no dandelions because good Christians do that. You know, I mean, this, this is the kind of stuff that we just, it just sort of kind of creeps into us. We add to the Bible a certain Christian code that's not there. That say, this is what Christians do. And then we alienate seekers who go, well, well, what if I don't keep to that code? Can I still be a Christian? And my heart breaks, especially for younger adults who are interested in Christ, who hear his call. But then they start rubbing shoulders with American Christians and they say, but wait a minute, I'm interested in who Jesus is, but you're telling me I I have to wear that jersey too? What if I don't agree with that jersey? What if I see people wearing that jersey who don't seem to look like Jesus Christ? And they say, "I, I don't know that I can do that if that's what Christianity is. And I want to shout, that is not what Christianity is. That's Christian people having opinions which they're entitled to have and having values which they're entitled to have. And they can even argue for them, but argue for them as an American, not wearing your Christian hat. The warning is this. Watch out. Be cautious. Don't become an American Christian. And let's not let Genesis Church become a church for American Christians. It needs to be a church for Christian Christians. Americans, Christian Americans. So these lesser things, I'll get to that second point in a second. These lesser things are dangers. And one of the reasons, not just because the eclipse, what should be Jesus Christ, is because they're always changing, right? These lesser allegiances are always changing where Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The groups that you're part of, again, fine to be part of the groups, will not be the same 20 years from now. I'm just going to guarantee you that. America is not the same as it was 200 years ago, 25 years ago, or what it will be 50 years ago. So we need to be constantly monitoring our association even with our country. Not that I'm telling you to be against our country. I'm just saying you're going to have to shift your stance a little bit because the country is shifting. Your alma mater that you went to is probably pretty different in what they teach and what they promote what they did 100 years ago versus what they do today versus what they will 50 years from now. Churches change. Political parties change. And if we don't monitor that regularly, we will change with them and perhaps in a way that doesn't give Christ preeminence. So here's Jesus. 
And he's surrounded by these different kinds of groups. There's religious sects and groups like Pharisees and Sadducees who believe different things that are always trying to pull at him and get him to take their side or this side. There are political differences like the Herodians who are all for Rome and the Zealots who want to overthrow Rome. And everybody's looking at Jesus going, well, which box is he going to check? Who is he? What shirt is he going to wear? And aware of that trap, he does something extremely creative, right? He says, bring me a coin, in verse 15. Bring me a denarius. And he asks, whose image is on it? What's the inscription? So this denarius was a coin minted by Rome that they wanted the local people to use for trade. It's a you know, good thing that we have common currency, that we can do that. But they also required a tax. And they're the occupiers. How many of you like to pay your taxes? Come on. Tomorrow's the 15th. I pay taxes quarterly, which means tomorrow I'm going to write a very large check to the government. I do it online. But, and I've had, to, I've had to learn to just, as I do that, give thanks to God for the blessings I have in my country. Because four times a year I have to go, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. And so, but that's the government that I'm in, that's in control and I, and I vote in my country, whereas they had people occupying them. And Jesus is saying, whose image is this? So here's what's on the coin. In this day and age, it would have said this. It would have been the image of Tiberius Caesar. And on it, it would say, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And on the back would have been this inscription, Pontifex Maximus, which just means high priest. The coin as itself would be very offensive to Jews, just in its wording. But Jesus uses this interesting question. Whose image is this? So the second point that I want to bring out from this passage, again, is something you might find strange for me to say as a pastor, strange to come from the heart of Jesus, and it's this. Be image conscious, right? When was the last time you ever heard a pastor say that? Be image conscious. The image of Christ in you must outshine all others. The image of Christ. So whose image? Caesar's. And the word render unto Caesar is literally that. It's give back to Caesar. This coin was minted by Rome. You possess it, but technically it kind of belongs to the government. I don't know if you know that about your money, by the way. That's why you're legally not allowed to deface money, um, because in some sense it belongs to the government. And he's saying, hey, whose image is this? Give it to Caesar. There are things the government has and does that are good, that belong to them, and render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then he asks the next question, or says the next statement, I should say, and render unto God what is God's. What does that mean? I ask myself, whose image is here? Whose image is in Scott Garziella? And the answer is, I am made in the image of God. When I follow Christ, I have Christ in me. And the image of Christ is supposed to be so strong in me that it's a no-brainer that while I give to the government what I owe the government, what I give to my sports team, what I can give to my sports team, above all of it, the image of Christ is me. And I belong to him. So lesser allegiances are okay as long as they remain lesser. So because Jesus is talking about government, let me just say a few words about that. What is the role of government? And when we get it confused, now I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but when we get it confused, um, it causes problems. Let me just say this. The government is not our savior. It cannot solve all of our problems. If you're depending on government to, to solve all human problems, you're, you're way off. And Jesus was not using political means to bring about his kingdom. 
He wasn't trying to set up external laws to constrain people to follow him. He wanted them to be constrained by their heart, by a changed heart. He wanted the kingdom of God and was. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. Neither, though, is the government your enemy. God created government for good. And even if it doesn't operate that way, God wants you to respect and honor the government. So Jesus says this clearly here. The Apostle Paul teaches it in his writings. Peter teaches it in his writings. Let's take a quick look at Romans 13. Uh, It makes it clear. It says this. Therefore, Paul says, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. Man, the Bible's after me on my taxes for tomorrow. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. This is all of our allegiances. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So Christians need to support the authority of government unless government steals the authority of God. Are you doing that? If I could sum up what the New Testament teaches about this in three quick things, it's this. And I'm pretty good with two out of three. Number one, the Bible's really clear. Pay your taxes. Don't cheat. Pay what is due. And enjoy the benefits of our country. Every time I drive home on a paved road, and today hopefully it's plowed, I go, that's my taxes at work, and I'm glad. I I have to work to do that, by the way. But I pay my taxes. The second one is this. Speak respectfully. Hmm, this one gets a little harder, doesn't it? Speak respectfully of those in authority. You don't have to agree with them, but speak respectfully. I actually think I do this one pretty well. And the last one the Bible is very clear on is pray regularly. That's the one I miss. I don't don't often pray for people in governmental leadership. Um, But the Bible says it's a hard job. Nobody likes what they do usually. They're not going to please everybody. They need our prayer. So as we're moving through the Gospel of Mark, I think this is really timely that we didn't plan it this way, but that we're starting back in Mark with this passage at the beginning of 2024, which if you haven't yet noticed, is an election year. And we didn't pick this passage for today. I think God picked this passage for us today. We've been looking in Mark at the fact that Jesus is the God that you didn't expect, bringing the kingdom that you didn't expect. And where we're going in this next section, all the way to the cross, is that he asks us to journey with him on the road that you don't expect. The road that strangely leads to the cross. And we'll we'll see over the weeks that Jesus is going to frequently collide with culture. And if we're following him, we are going to collide with culture. It's an election year, and I'm not a prophet, but all manner of craziness is going to break loose this year. I'm just telling you that. Will your allegiance to Christ shape you in this political year? Now, I see a lot of modern parallels of what's going on in this passage. So let me just point out a little bit of what I see in the clash of cultures. This my team must win attitude. This protect my turf, defeat the enemy, where we see the Herodians and the Pharisees. Let's not be like them. Because here's what they're doing and what I see happening all around us as well. They're approaching their Jesus with what I call injurious intent. They want to defeat him. They don't care about Jesus. They're trying to bring him down, to grind him into the ground. And I'm fine with dialogue on very different opinions and strong dialogue, and that's fine. But is your goal to grind your enemy into the ground? That's what I see in a lot of places. That's not the heart of Christ. 
Sarcasm. Did you catch the sarcasm? It's, oh, we know that you're amazing and you speak truth and you're going to tell us what you really think as, as the poet ever suppose what everybody else you know, uh, wants you to say. They're sort of setting this trap for them. Sarcasm. And then this false absolutes. You've got to pick this or you've got to pick that. Either they're right or they're right. And sometimes there are absolutes like that. But, you know, why do we do that? Why do we think that you know, this political party is 100% wrong and this political party is 100% right? Do you think that's true? I don't. Whoever's president that you didn't vote for probably actually does some good stuff. Maybe not a lot, but are you willing to say so? When we start going, it's false absolutes, we're becoming just like them. We're painting, we're, we're playing loosely with truth is what we're doing. Are you for Rome or are you against Rome? Are you on our side or their side? Are you liberal or are you conservative? Are you Michigan or are you MSU? You have to pick. And I'm standing here at 2024 and saying, let's pick God. What do you think? Huh? Let's pick Jesus Christ. Because sometimes I agree with that side and sometimes I agree with that side and sometimes I agree with neither one. So this year, let's replace this injurious intent with love, especially on social media. Jesus chose his words carefully. So should you. Let's replace sarcasm with sincerity. Talk openly and honestly about your differences, but do it with sincerity. And let's replace these false absolutes with persuasive dialogue. Let's talk about why I think this and why you think that and why my opinion is Christian-based or it's really not Christian-based, but it's just what I think is right economically or politically. And I can argue for that. Christians need to be image-conscious, not so that people see me a certain way, but so that I am a certain way. I am like Jesus Christ. Now let me give you one quick illustration on a hot-button issue. Uh, the way it worked for Scott Gardzilla. If I haven't hit hot buttons yet, let's hit one. Um, one way to monitor, as I mentioned, um, you know, if you've confused the image of Christ with culture, is to hang out with Christians from other cultures. And I found myself adapting some of my thinking just because of that on the issue of gun control. I own a shotgun. I own a rifle. I own an air rifle. My dad was a hunter. And I can make a good, strong case for the right to bear arms I think that's an American case, but it's not really a Christian case. Does that make sense? It's not wrong. It's just i got to know where that's coming from. It's not necessarily coming out of my faith. It's coming out of my beliefs as an American. However, when I hang out with my brothers and sisters who live in the inner city, they have a very different view of this because they see guns killing their friends all the time. And in doing that, I began to go, well, it's not a, I don't have to be either or. I, I can argue for this over here, but I've got to realize that there are risks and dangers and harm, and my compassion for people and my love of Christ has to compel me to feel what they feel and realize that, you know, I think if Christ had to pick here somewhere, he's maybe more concerned about the people over here are dying than I am about making sure that I can have an AK-47 if I want to. That's a shift for me. Okay, I, I have, you know, that's, that's just one of those things where I've got to, am I an American Christian or a Christian or American? In other words, the image of the NRA isn't as important in me as the image of Jesus Christ. And I have to let one inform the other. So, a couple of verses here to wrap up with. How do we take this logo so that we have and make sure it's Christ that's really what's shining through? Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says this. 
So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So what is the clothing that we should really be wearing? Christ. And in Christ, there's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, it means in the church, there's still male and female. There's still Jew and Gentile. But those are lesser allegiances. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul makes it even clearer and then tells us what we should look like in Christ. Let's put that one up there. It says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Here's what we should, people should be seeing in us more than anything. And it's okay to wear your, you know, lion's shirt this afternoon. Clothe yourselves, though, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do people see that in you? That's the image of Christ. You should be image conscious. And over all these virtues, verse 14 says, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So here's my goal for 2024, that when you look at Scott, you don't see my favorite spirit wear of my favorite team. You see the fruit of the spirit. That's the image of Christ. How about this year when you look at Scott, you see less middle-aged man, less northern Michigander, less Bears fan, less Guardziella, less Genesis Church, and more Jesus Christ. How do we put this into practice? Let's look at some next steps, and Zach's going to come up and lead us in a closing song and Norm in a prayer. First of all, give back to Caesar. (laughs) Sounds like a strange one to say after this, but you have some lesser allegiances that maybe you've not been giving to, that you need to. Maybe you need to re-up as a parent. That's an important allegiance. It's a lesser one, but it's an important one. Maybe as a neighbor, you need to love your neighbor. Maybe you need to bring Christ into these other allegiances and redeem them. And secondly, give back to God. Where do you need to let Christ shape you more than culture? Where has that been bleeding out more than Jesus' blood? in you. Is that what people see? Are you willing to change? So how did things happen in my community? I told you I ended up a Bears fan. This is interesting. In the town I lived in, we were known as the Weberville Spartans. That was the high school mascot. But here's the interesting thing. And we, we had the literal Sparty logo, but our colors were maize and blue. I don't know who came up with that compromise once upon a time, but it was probably brilliant. That's, that's the honest truth. And those two disparate groups could get along at least one night a week. And you know when that was? Friday night football. Because they'd set aside all of those differences to come out and root for their kids. So if those two groups can come together at some different time because there's something more important Can we, the Church of Jesus Christ, always make sure there's something more important? And that's Jesus Christ. Let's stand and worship the Lord. As you stand, um, I want to encourage you, even if you're at home, stand right now. And let's just take a couple moments to breathe in the truth of God's Word. Just literally take some deep breaths. Just breathe it in. What God may be saying to you. What God may be pointing out in your life.
Let's petition God together. Lord, we praise you that you are so kind and so merciful and forgiving. And Lord, as we unite our hearts together right now, I just uh, I pray that you would forgive us as individuals when we've aligned ourselves with lesser allegiances when we've allowed lesser allegiances to shape who we are. Please help us, Lord, to have vivid awareness of the areas where our allegiances are misguided. Lord, help us to repent. Help us to seek your forgiveness. Help us to surrender. And as a church, O oh Lord, may we live out our allegiance to you in front of our community and our neighbors. May we be clothed with compassion and patience and love. May we be faithful to our allegiance to you, Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to be continually reminded that the gospel is the only solution to the brokenness, the emptiness, and the sinfulness that we all experience without Christ. May your name be lifted up. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.